Well, we're so glad that you're able to join us through this, uh, what, what do you call this, webcast, uh, internet uh, church? I don't know exactly what you call it. I'm sure Taryn will bring me up to speed on that. But one thing I would suggest to you right now is that you turn off your phones and really try to stay focused on what is being preached this morning. So we're continuing our series called Heaven and Hell. And uh, when I began to prepare the sermon series back a few months ago, obviously I had no idea that in the middle of the series we would be hit with the coronavirus. And so um, I, I got to tell you that in the, in the midst of all this, I, I've had so many people uh, with, with all kinds of different reactions. And some people think that it's a sign of our lack of faith that, uh, that we cancel church and and uh, others are full of terror. And I just want everybody to relax, calm down, and understand that as Christians, we have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. And, uh, but we are also people who are wise, and we don't take foolish risks. So everybody relax and understand that uh, the canceling of our Sunday morning gatherings is not a sign of a lack of faith here. It's just a sign that we have brains. So hopefully, hopefully you will recognize that and agree with us on that. Now, what I want to do today is I want us to look at, at Revelation chapter 21. And if you have your Bibles, you can take them right now and open them up and uh, follow along with me. If you haven't read the book of Revelation yet, I encourage you to do that. Uh, I've got a, a, quite a bit of good in fact, excellent feedback. People who are excited about reading, reading through Revelation now. And uh, I hope that your heart will be thrilled. The Bible tells us in, in the very beginning of Revelation that there's a blessing for everybody who reads this book. So if you want to be blessed today, uh, get your Bible out and read the whole book of Revelation. And someone said to me last week, Pastor Alan, I read Revelation and it scared me and it gave me nightmares. My response was, are you converted? Because if you're converted, if you're born again, you've got absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a book that tells us of the victory of Jesus Christ. And if Christ is a victor, then everybody who follows Christ is a victor. So today, I'm a victor, and you are victorious through Jesus Christ. So rejoice and be glad. Revelation tells us of the great things that are ahead. And I can tell you, based on what we're seeing in the world today, it really looks like we are coming to the very end of time. And I, for one, am absolutely thrilled about it. And I hope you are too. So we're looking at Revelation 21. And uh, the thing that, uh, that this coronavirus has caused us to do is caused us to do some thinking and some reflecting. First of all, it causes us to reflect on our own mortality. The fact of the matter is, is that we are all going to die. We don't like to talk about it, we don't like to think about it, but it is a fact. And if you're a believer today, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then it's not a problem to you. But if you have not put your faith in Christ, then you are now faced with a decision. Uh, and the decision is, uh, is, am I going to be prepared? Am I going to prepare myself for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, or am I prepared to die? Now, as we, as we are in the midst of this coronavirus, 
A number of people have asked me, uh, is, this, is this one of the plagues written about in the book of Revelation? So it's really been good to get people thinking about things that really matter. Uh, it's a nice break from, uh, from uh, American Idol or whatever it is that you watch in your spare time. We're, we're now focusing on things that actually have eternal value and eternal significance. So... If you haven't had a chance to, to hear the first three sermons in these series, I would invite you to go to crosschurch.ca and go to the podcast section and listen to those sermons uh, beginning in, in Revelation chapter 18. Now, we're looking at 21 and 22. We're looking uh, today at, at what heaven is going to be like. And we're also going to be talking about how you can be sure that you are actually going to heaven. One of the things that we all must understand is that not everybody goes to heaven, sadly. In fact, the Bible is clear that some will go to hell. And we've talked about this over the past few weeks. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be thrown into the fiery lake and this is something that we need to take seriously. We need to think about it. Now, can I just remind everybody of something before I go any further? This is not, this is not God's will that anybody be thrown into the fiery lake. This is your choice. This is something that, that you decide because God wants everybody to have eternal life. He wants no one to perish. Let me share with you uh, a passage, the, the, the very first words, actually, in chapter 21. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God and out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, I want to excite your spirit about the joys and the wonderful things about heaven. Now, the question that I have gotten a lot through the years is what happens when I die? We, I think most of us have been to a funeral. We've, we've buried our loved ones and we wonder what happens. We put the body in the ground. What happens after that? Well, let me just quickly tell you what happens when you die if you are not a Christian. Jesus tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus and Jesus gives us a picture of what happens when both these men die. And what we see is that if you're not a believer, if you are a man or a woman who has not pleased God or done God's will, or you've not done things the way God wants you to do it, then your spirit will go to a place of waiting. And uh, this is what we read in Luke 16, 22 to 23. It describes a rich man being tormented immediately after death. And I want you to recognize that this is not purgatory. Uh, understand that the, the, the doctrine of purgatory is not a biblical doctrine. Uh, this is something that the Roman Catholic Church has come up with. The idea of purgatory is that it's a place of final purging, where your sins are finally purged from your body. But I want you to know something, that, that the purging that goes on in your life happens while you are still on this earth. It doesn't happen after. Once you die, it's over. Once you have breathed your last breath, then the question of whether you go to heaven or go to hell, uh, that's when that all kicks in. So uh, 
Luke 16, 22 to 23 shows a rich man who is now in a place of, of, uh, of, of torment. He, he sees, interestingly, he sees Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is safe in the bosom of Abraham. I would invite you to read that, Luke 16. But the next thing that you need to understand is at the time of the great resurrection, when Jesus Christ uh, is prepared for the, final, for the final great white throne judgment, it's at that time that everybody will be resurrected from the dead. And it describes in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, which we talked about last week, it describes all unbelieving dead people being resurrected and judged at the great white throne, and then thirdly, they're cast into the lake of fire. Now that's what happens if you have not put your faith in Christ, if you're not a believer, if you have rejected the grace that Jesus Christ offers so freely. Now, the good news is that if you are a Christian, Jesus tells us that we immediately go into, the, into, into his presence in a place called paradise. And some of you will know the story of Jesus Christ who, uh, who while he was hanging on the cross, he had two, two criminals on either side of him. One mocked Jesus. The other one recognized that Jesus was pure and innocent. And uh, in that brief exchange, the, the one man said to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So we know that as soon as we die, our spirits leave our earthly abode, which is our body, and we immediately are ushered into the very presence of Jesus Christ. It's a thrilling thought. So those of your loved ones who died in the faith, they are right now in the very presence of Jesus Christ. They are enjoying fellowship already in the presence of God. But folks, what we read is that the day is coming, uh, we call it the day of resurrection, when the dead in Christ will rise and we will be given glorified bodies for the new heaven and the new earth. And you can read about the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 to 22. Now I'm going to, in just a moment, just go through some of the special features and some of the exciting highlights of heaven. But understand this, folks, that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if, if and when you die on this earth, and I say if you die because uh, Jesus Christ is going to return and some of us will miss that death, but if you die, understand this, you're immediately in the presence of God and you will be given a resurrection or what we call a glorified body. You will have the same kind of body that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. That's what we're looking forward to. It will be a body that is perfect, a body without blemish, a body without pain, without suffering. And as a 58-year-old with, uh, with arthritis, I'm really looking forward to that. So let me just quickly read to you the first seven verses of Revelation 21. And here's what it says. And John is, of course, the one who has received this revelation from Jesus Christ. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. 
God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And of course, I'm inviting you, please, to read the rest of this chapter. But hallelujah, this is what we have to look forward to. When we will be united with Jesus Christ forever and forever. And we will be made pure. We will be made utterly holy without sin, without any more temptation, without any more pain, without any more suffering. It'll be, it's a world that we can hardly get our brains around because we have lived in this sinful world for so long. This is what we're looking forward to, the day when we will be with Jesus in heaven. Now let me just quickly bring to your attention some of the features some of the highlights of heaven. In verse 1, it tells us that it will be a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be something that we can hardly even imagine, utterly different than anything that we know today. In verse 3, it says that God is going to come and live among his people. And of course, we, if you know the Old Testament, the thing that maybe comes to your mind is the tabernacle in the presence of uh, of, of God's people. Remember that all the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel were encamped around the tabernacle. And, and in the tabernacle is what was called the Holy of Holy, Holies. And over the Holy of Holies was what we call the Shekinah glory. It was the evidence that God was there among his people. But God was not there in bodily form, he was there in the, in the form of a, uh, a column of fire by, by night and a column of, of a, well, like a cloud by, by day. The wonderful thing is that now God is going to be among his people, where we will fellowship with him. At the time uh, that God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, it was only the high priest that could come into the presence of God, and that was only once a year, and that was to make atonement for the sins of the people. Somebody had to pay the price for these sins. And so animals were sacrificed and the blood of these, of these sacrificed animals then were, were brought uh, into the Holy of Holies, placed before God. By the way, some people think, well, that sounds so gruesome, but I want you to understand that God wants his people to understand how heinous, how terrible sin is. And this is why uh, we see this kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, we, we are so used to sin. Our hearts are callous now. And we've gotten used to it. And we, we, we don't mind it. We, we live with it as if it weren't a problem. And I want you to know with God, it is a problem. In fact, it's such a problem that absolutely nothing unholy, no evil, the Bible says, is going to make it into heaven. So you and I need to be cleansed. Because if you are an honest person, and you will admit to yourself today, that, and, and to the people in the room, you are an unholy person made holy by Jesus Christ. And the, every inclination of your heart is to do evil, 
Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. In fact, this is what God said to Cain in, in Genesis chapter 4. Sin crouches at your door, and it desires to have you. So this is what you and I need to understand. We are, we are not worthy of God's presence. We cannot come into God's presence. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven our sins are washed away, and now God can come and dwell in our presence forevermore. That's verse 3. Now, i got to hurry up here because uh, I, I'm only at verse 3, and Revelation is a, is a long, Revelation 21 is a long chapter. It says in verse 4 that God himself will comfort us. And that's a thrilling thought. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. It says in verse 4 there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. And imagine that, never ever crying again, but only knowing joy and happiness. In verse 5, it says God's going to make everything new. And of course, one of the things that he makes new is our new bodies. And again, uh, just think of yourself as being eternally youthful, and young, and vibrant, and full of life. We read also in verse 6 that God will give freely the springs of living water, this living water that, that gives us a vitality, a life that satisfies us. And that's something that, that we, all of us on this earth, are constantly looking for something that satisfies us. And you know that. You know what it means and what it feels like to, to, to not be satisfied. Something's missing. You want more. And this is why addictions abound. This is why uh, so many of us are undisciplined, because we're looking for something to satisfy us. And I want you to know the only one who can satisfy you and the only one that can satisfy me is Jesus Christ. Think of this. For an eternity, the springs of living water will satisfy us. We will have no desire, no longing for anything other than the glorious presence of Jesus. And guess what? He's already declared he's with us forever and ever. While we're on this earth, we've got this hole in our heart that we're trying to fill with all manner of evil things and, uh, and, and, and going to extremes and things that, that maybe are not evil if it's done in, in moderation. But folks, this is our condition. We get to heaven no more fights with, with our bodies, no more fights with our desires, our longings, our appetites. We're satisfied for eternity. Verse 7, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. In heaven, the bride of Christ, all believers in Jesus will be there. So this is something I'm looking forward to. I've got, I've got, I've got loved ones. I've got family, friends, uh, stepbrothers and sister and uh, uncles and aunts that have already gone on before me. The Bible says that, that the day is coming when we'll all be gathered together living forever in eternity with one another. In verse, uh, verse 22, it says, The bride is described as the new Jerusalem, which is pure. Uh, listen, folks, again, Nothing unholy can make it into heaven. But through Jesus Christ, we have been purified. Uh, a word that we, that, that, that we use as, uh, is, is sanctified or sanctification. It's a difficult word for some people to understand. But very simply, it means that God is in the process of purifying us and making us holy, making us fit for heaven. It's absolutely thrilling. And God is doing it. I don't have to try to be good enough, but God, by his spirit, by his grace, and by his word, think of that, he's making me holy. 
And that's, that's, he's getting me ready for heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited that God right now is working in me to get me all ready for heaven. Now, the question is this, are you ready for heaven? Because that's what heaven's going to be. In verse 22, it says God and the Lamb are there replacing the temple. No longer are sacrifices of any sort necessary. In verse 23, it said there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because God's glory will illuminate the city and that the Lamb is the light. Imagine that. I can't imagine a world. But remember, it's a new heaven and new earth. No need for the sun, no, no need for the moon. And in verse 25, there'll be no more night. So many people are afraid of the dark. So many people, when you think of the night, it's, a, it's an unhappy and a fearful time. But imagine an eternity, no more night. That uh, signifies to me that there'll be no need for sleep even. Imagine that. Again, it's hard to get your brain around this. But the thought of it all is absolutely thrilling. And, and you know, after we're done with the message today, maybe you and your family could have a conversation about this. Talk about what heaven will be like. Imagine, imagine what, what, what will be different uh, compared to what we're so familiar with. In verse 27, it says, nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven. And further in, uh, in verse 27, only people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be in heaven. So this is why I stressed it last week, and I'm going to stress it again. Your name must be in the Lamb's book of life. Make sure, make sure that you know the condition of your heart. Make sure that you take seriously this call to be pure and holy. As Paul said to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't consider it, a, uh, it lightly. Don't consider it as something that is not important. It is the most important thing in your life. And I'm going to tell you in a moment how you can make sure that, that you are staying in, in a pure and a holy position. So I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but let me just close by saying uh, in verse 20, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, it says is, there's a river flowing from the throne of God, and it's, it's the water of life. And this speaks to us of, of, of uh, eternal fulfillment because some people think, well, what am I going to do in heaven for, for eternity? Well, the, the, the water of life signifies that we are going to be so happy, so satisfied. Think about that. So utterly and completely satisfied, you won't need to run to the fridge to get another popsicle or another piece of cake or another piece of this or another piece. You won't have to do, you won't be satisfied. You won't be longing for anything. You'll only be satisfied in Christ. And then you'll notice in chapter 22, verse 2, that, uh, that on either side of that river are the are trees, the trees of life. And the first time we ever hear about the tree of life is actually in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Actually in chapter 2, but then in, in, in chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, it says that, that Adam and Eve had to be evicted from the Garden of Eden so that they would not eat the fruit from the tree of life and therefore live forever. God did not want Adam and Eve, who had just eaten the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to now eat from the tree of life because now that sin had entered in through their disobedience, if they ate the fruit from the tree of life, it would mean that they would live forever in a state of, uh, of evil and wickedness. And God says, for this reason, we must cast them out of Eden. Well, guess what? 
We come to the end of, of the Bible. We begin at the beginning of the Bible in Eden. We come to the end, and lo and behold, we're back in the Garden of Eden. It's absolutely thrilling to think about it. And, and God obviously wants us to understand that. We are now in his presence. We are now in the Garden of God where we will spend our eternity. One of the wonderful things it says here is that the leaves from this tr- the tree of life will be used to heal the nations. And why would, why would God have to tell us that? Because every nation on this world, uh, in this world and, and every human in every nation in this world has been ravaged by sin and wickedness and all manner of evil. As a pastor, been pastoring uh, since 1983, uh, if, you, if you could have heard the stories that I've heard over the years of people who have been hurt and molested and gone through all manner of, of sorrow and pain and suffering, to know now that once we get to heaven, it's all over, that, that everything is erased and we know nothing but joy and gladness forevermore. This is thrilling stuff. Uh, this, is, this is why we read in Hebrews 11 that the ancient men and women of faith were looking for a city that was not of this world. They're looking for the new city, the new Jerusalem, the place where they will finally be at home. In verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 22, it says that we have the mark of Christ on our forehead. A lot of us have heard of the mark of the beast. Well, this is the mark of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, Nobody with the mark of the beast, nobody who has loved and embraced Babylon, that is the systems and the beliefs and the pleasures and the lusts of this world, will be, will be allowed into heaven. Only those who've got the mark of Jesus on their forehead. You hear of the mark of the beast, but nobody ever talks about the mark of Jesus. And folks, it's significant. It's important to understand this. Jesus Christ when, he, when, when you're born again, Jesus Christ takes ownership of your mind and your heart. You belong to him. So let me, let me just remind you of a, a reoccurring teaching in scriptures, but, but particularly in the book of Revelation. And here's what it says in 2127. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When we talk about shameful idolatry, it's, this is strange, strange language to people in 2020, but let me just quickly tell you what it means. It basically is talking about whatever it is that you love. That's what idolatry is. What do you love? What's the thing that's most important in your life? And if it's not Jesus then that's your idol. And John tells us that whatever you love is your shameful idol, and you can't go to heaven if Jesus Christ is not number one in your life. It's very important to understand that. You see, Pastor John, you just make this so severe and so difficult. Well, I'm not trying to make it severe and difficult. I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm trying to tell you what you need to know, not what you want to hear. Because there's a lot of preachers that will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. You need to be ready, and you need to make sure that the only one that you love is Jesus Christ. Because what you do with Jesus Christ will determine your eternity. 
If you love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if Jesus Christ is number one, if you're willing to, to die for him, to lay down your life for him, if you're willing to put him first over everything and anything else, then I want you to know that you're on the right track and everything's going to be good and you have a, a glorious heaven to look forward to. So let me just quickly uh, help you to know how, how to go to heaven because I know that some of you are asking this, well, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? And I'm going to tell you, everything depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not being preached, if Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is not number one in our, in our sermons, number one in our belief system, if Jesus Christ is not number one in, in the way that we live our lives, then we are seriously in grave danger of being a church of the world. And I'm going to tell you that anything that's of this world cannot enter into eternal life. So this is why here at Cross Church, I do not, I do not apologize for preaching clearly the cross of Jesus Christ because it was on that cross that he died for your sins. It's on that cross where he paid the price for your sin. This is why it is of the, the, of the highest priority that we preach the cross. It's for this reason we call our church Cross Church because it is the most important thing, the most important message that we will ever proclaim. Do you know that Paul in, in Romans 6.23 said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one way that you're going to get to heaven. There's only one way that you're going to have eternal life, and it is through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know you can never be good enough because there's some people still live under this false teaching, this false idea that when they get to heaven, God's going to weigh their good deeds versus their bad deeds. And if they've got enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds, they're going to get into heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one way that you're going to be good enough, and that is that your sins are washed away by Jesus Christ. You'll never be good enough, but there is one who is good enough, and his name is Jesus. That's why we preach Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, if you understand that your goodness is like filthy rags. If you, if you believe that you are a sinner, that, that God is right in declaring you a sinner, if you, if you are deeply sorry for your sin, if you have repented and turned from your old life to the new life of following Christ, if you have embraced Christ as the one who saves you, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then I'm going to give you two thumbs up. You're going to be fine. You're going to, be make, you're going to make it to heaven. You can rejoice in that. And can I just remind everybody of something? The reason that we teach people here the seven habits of Jesus is because we want to teach you what you do after you become a Christian. This is not a magic formula. It's simply a description of Christ and how he lived. And everybody who is a believer, everybody who is a Christian, follows in the steps of Christ. The Bible tells us what we must imitate Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
This is what we're doing. We're imitating Jesus. And so we're teaching you what you need to know. Becoming a Christian, asking Christ into your life, uh, is really just the beginning. The evidence that you are converted is that you are in the process of being purified, of being sanctified. So understand that. When you become a Christian, that's the beginning. When you put your faith in Christ, that's the beginning. The evidence that you put your faith in Christ is now you are imitating him. You are living like him. You're following him. You're doing whatever he says. Now remember, nothing evil will be allowed to enter into heaven. And what makes you pure, what makes you holy, is that you now are imitating and following Christ. You have put your faith in him. So this is something that we sometimes forget as evangelicals. It's something that we often forget. We think all I have to do is say a sinner's prayer, and that's it. I'm going to heaven. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, there's nothing in the Bible that even, that even suggests that we have to say a sinner's prayer. One, part of the language that we often use is I have to accept Jesus into my heart. That's, by the way, not biblical either. You're not going to find that. People who are already converted talk about Jesus being uh, welcomed and accepted into their heart. But, but for those who are not converted yet, you don't just say a sinner's prayer and, and it's all done. No, you are converted miraculously, spiritually, uh, by Jesus Christ. And then once that happens, then you begin this process of following after Jesus. And by the way, I've seen people over the years say, yes, I'm a Christian, I baptize them, and then the next thing you know, they've drifted away. Well, you could say, well, what happened? Well, they weren't converted. And this is why, in these, especially in these last days, we we're really focusing hard on having a real relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding whether or not a person is in fact truly converted. And that's what I'm asking you. Are you truly converted? Now, if you're truly converted, then here's what you need to know. You need to be allowing God by his spirit to transform you. You need to be changed. And how do we do this? We do this through Jesus Christ. This is why we teach habit number one. It was the very habit of Jesus. Jesus met with God on a regular basis. It was a, it's a daily walk with Christ. Another way to put it is doing your devotions every day where you are praying, you're reading your Bible, you're connecting with God. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7 to 9, and I'm coming to a close now. Um, he says, uh, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 1, Do not lack any spiritual gift, Listen to this. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Did you see that? This is, this is who we are as Christians. We are people who every day are looking for Christ's return. We're looking for Christ to be revealed. And then he says in verse 8 that Jesus will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that day of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the day when he returns. Look at this. You don't keep yourself firm to the end. Jesus does. This is why you have a daily walk with God. This daily walk with God 
will ensure that your heart stays close to the master. This is why I tell my kids all the time, did you do your devotions today? Did you do your devotions today? I'll say it to anybody, did you do your devotions today? I know from personal experience that if I fail to do my devotions, if I fail to walk with God, if I let that lapse in any way, that's when I get in trouble, and that's when you get in trouble. But the good news is if you stay close to Jesus and you walk with him every day, he will also keep you firm to the end. You can look that up, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8. Jesus keeps you firm to the end. But look at this, verse 9. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you were called by God into fellowship with Jesus Christ? This is the evidence that you are converted. You have been called into fellowship with Jesus. And this is what I'm saying. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Well, it depends what you do with Jesus Christ. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ enjoys fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ every day. We allow him to transform us and make us into the people he wants us to be. You uh, put yourself in extreme danger extreme danger, and I I cannot overemphasize this. You put yourself in serious, serious danger if you are not in fellowship with Jesus Christ every day. You have to pray. You have to read your Bible. You show me somebody who's full of anger, somebody who's full of anxiety, somebody who's backslidden, somebody who's got anger in their heart. They're angry at their boss, angry at their kids, angry at their spouse. They're, they're anxious about their health. They're anxious about the coronavirus. I'm going to show you somebody who hasn't walked with Jesus for a long time. The evidence that you're walking with Jesus is that your heart's full of joy and full of peace. And you, you love everybody in your life and you cooperate with everybody in your life. This is the evidence that you're getting ready to go to heaven, that you're ready. What you do with Jesus determines whether or not you're going to heaven or not. So let me just share this verse with you because I I want to nail this home. You need to make sure that you are ready to meet the Lord. Don't take this lightly. Don't just say, oh, well, I said a sinner's prayer and that's it. No, you got to let God transform you by his spirit. Look at how Paul describes or explains the work of Jesus Christ in us. Look at this. Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Did you get that? Jesus gave up his life to make us holy and clean. Remember, nothing evil can enter into heaven. So Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Did you hear that? This is why I tell you. You've got to pray and read your Bible every day. Walking with Jesus just means praying and reading your Bible every day. If you don't, you're in, you're in very serious trouble. You're in very, very serious trouble. Listen to this. Jesus did this to present her, that is us, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. These are the people that make it to heaven. You have to make sure that you are being transformed 
by, by the, the glorious fellowship with Jesus Christ, which is what he calls us to. So let me just say this in conclusion. Before we ever get to Revelation chapter 21, at the very beginning of the book, here's, here's what we are told. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'm going to say that to you today. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, don't take this message lightly. You have heard the word of God right now. And it's, I, I believe it's a prophetic word. It's his word spoken into your heart. It's a warning to you. It's, a prep, it's, it's to help you be prepared for eternity. To the one, look at this, to the one who overcomes... That is to the one who, who, who puts their faith in Christ and then follows Christ faithfully. It's to this one. Jesus says, I will grant the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Isn't that thrilling? But you have to be an overcomer, which means you can't take this lightly. You've got to start getting serious. Hey, look at I know people have been in church their whole life and still don't get it. They still don't have a clue. People who, who grew up at their mother's knee listening to Bible stories, going to Sunday school, going to church, hearing sermons, the best sermons, but they're not overcomers. They're not prepared. They're not ready. Why? Because they have not taken seriously this call to follow Jesus Christ, to love Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. What have you done with Jesus? What are you doing with Christ? Because this is going to determine your eternity. My prayer is that everybody at Cross Church will live forever in eternity. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And you know what that is in your heart. I don't need to know. God knows. But you know what it is. And God is warning you today. Throw off that sin that's hindering you. That sin that gets you tangled up and gets you into trouble. Throw it off now. And take seriously, with fear and trembling, your spiritual condition, your spiritual state. It's a matter of life and death. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the privilege of being able to speak this word. I pray now, God, that every heart, every mind would know the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Help us, O oh God, we pray, to take seriously this call to be overcomers through Christ. Not, never failing to walk with Jesus, praying and reading the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that Christ is the one who can guarantee that we will make it to heaven. He will keep us firm to the end. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.